What makes you glad? I think that if I was answering as the average American, at least in the way that I gather the impressions from young people I talk to, common people I talk to, the way we see it portrayed in the media and in our culture, most of us would probably define gladness as being that place where we can access the world on our own terms, where we can move through life with as few restrictions and as little limitations as possible. In our minds, freedom, where I have an absence of responsibilities, an absence of people telling me what I should or should not do, an absence of authority, that that kind of a freedom is what makes us happy. That's what our culture has been telling us these days. But is that really what gives us gladness? Our psalmist here tells us that he finds gladness in a whole nother place. Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of Yahweh. This is a contrast from what we have seen in the world, at least as a pastor, and you hear all the excuses of why people don't go to church. But here the psalmist says, no, gladness for me is when I'm going with the throngs, when the people who've invited me, who've pulled me, when we're going to the house of Yahweh, that is what made me glad. Um, this is our third step, like we said, and these 15 psalms are called the Psalms of Ascent, or Pilgrim Psalms, or Psalms of Ascension. And the idea is that these psalms were sung while the pilgrims would go from wherever they lived on their way up to Jerusalem. That these were 15 songs to kind of help sustain the are we there yet, and the fighting, and the bickering, and the long journey, and the sore feet, and the blisters, and the dust, and the heat. All of these things, the 15 songs, were their in-flight entertainment as they ascended the mount to get to Jerusalem. Now, 15 is not an accident. Sometimes we assume that the Psalms are just 150 various poems and songs that just kind of got thrown together, stapled and said, there's the Psalms. But actually, as I've studied for a couple of years now, uh, the Psalms have an intentional organization within them. And that there are 15 Psalms of Ascent in order right after one another. And there's a clear reason for this. There's two reasons. One is that at the temple, there were 15 steps that the pilgrims would walk up as they went into the temple courtyard. 15 steps. These 15 psalms are like their steps as they go toward the house of God in Jerusalem. But also, there's this benediction or a blessing that was sung by the Levites, by the priests, to the people. And it's in Numbers chapter 6. And if you hang out at our fellowship at all, you've heard this before. The song that we bless one another with at the end of service. It goes like this. Yahweh bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Yahweh be gracious to you, and Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That blessing, four of its lines repeat themselves in 12 of these 15 psalms. 
So this, this priestly blessing that the people would have heard as they came and left the temple, they're singing phrases from this blessing on their way up to Jerusalem. Now, this blessing has 15 words in the Hebrew, and there are 15 psalms that they're singing as they go up to receive this blessing. So they have here 15 well-designed steps for us. Step one is God. And in Psalm 120, we saw that the world is full of lies and we live in distress. And when we finally realize that the world is not giving us everything it promised, step one of our pilgrimage, of our ascent to our home, on our journey to the new Jerusalem, God's home for us, step one is God. It's saying no to the world and yes to God. Step two was in Psalm 121, and that was the reminder to walk. Step one, God. Step two, walk. You don't just say yes to God and then sit in the valley and let gravity hold you down till you die old and worthless. You allow God to put feet underneath your belief in him, and you begin to walk. We must be encouraged to walk, because at first, The ascension starts really steep. It's really rocky. We get blisters and our feet ache and our muscles cramp and our lungs are burning and dying for air. So step two says walk. Uh, You can walk because as Psalm 121 said, God is your keeper. He will keep you as you walk. And then there's also this beautiful part about him holding your foot so that it will not be moved or it will not slip. Don't fear what the journey has for you. Walk. God will keep you. Also in that psalm, it started with, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? Now, this is not just a pilgrim saying, oh, look at these hills. It makes me think, who made them? Ah, God, the maker of heaven and earth made them. He's my help. That's not where this is going. See, to a Jew who's walking to Jerusalem and sees the hills, they know what's on those hills. And if you've read the Kings, um, you will remember the phrase, high places. But this king did not destroy the idols on the high places. Jeremiah 3.23 says, The hills are a delusion, for there Israel worships the false gods. See, as the psalmist is walking, he sees the hills, the tempting hills, the inviting hills that say, Oh, you've gone far enough. The hills high enough. Come settle here. It's got everything you want. And the psalmist is saying, No, 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 no. The hills will not keep you. They're not your helper. God keeps you. He's your helper. And you know what I've noticed about the hills in our lives, about those things that are trying to take our loves and cause us to stop our journey? Is that everything you can love in this world, everything you can look to for help in this world, it needs me to keep it. Think about that. As we see right now the economy and where it's going, because there's nobody around to help keep the businesses going, everything's falling apart. If sports are my idol, it needs me to keep it going. Malls need me and my money to keep them going. Everything that you can love that is not God needs you to keep it. But here the psalm tells us that God will keep us. So, Psalm 122, step three is to worship. 
Don't worship on the hills. Don't settle for those easier destinations. Go all the way. Because as the psalmist is telling us, when you get to the top, that is where gladness resides. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of Yahweh. Now, there's something really cool um, in verse 2 that I want to point out, because there's a, there's a progression. As we get to step 3, there's a progression here. It says in verse 2, Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So happy to be in Jerusalem. And they say, can't believe it. Our feet are here. Our feet are on the ground in Jerusalem. But do you remember the word feet from last week? From Psalm 121? In 121 verse 2, it said this. My help comes from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. And despite him making the galaxies in the universe, verse 3 then says, And yet, he will not let your foot be moved. The God who can find interest in anything he's made has found your feet of interest to himself. So much so that he's going to pay attention to the placement of your feet and he is going to keep your feet. So much so that when Jesus comes, God in human flesh, he doesn't just come to be with us, but he then stoops to our feet and washes them. And now the psalmist, who knows that God is guarding his feet and his steps, is celebrating that his feet did not end up on the hills going up to Jerusalem. They didn't settle for something less. He said, with an exclamation point in my translation, our feet are standing in your gates of Jerusalem. Our feet are here. You kept our feet. You washed our feet. You took the keenest interest in our boring lives and you brought us to your place of worship. And they are ecstatic and rejoicing. So that's the movement. It's the movement from, ooh, the hills to, no, not the hills, the house of Yahweh. Take me there. That is gladness in our psalm. No, gladness is not accessing the world on my terms. That's what the hills offer us. The high places, the idols, the different systems of belief that all say you have your choice in what cert, what religious opportunity makes you happy or in what lifestyle makes you happy. The Psalms are saying, I didn't set my feet on the hills. I set my feet in the house of Yahweh. And that's where we want to be. So gladness is not in having the world on my terms. Gladness is worship. Gladness is worship that meets, that gathers in God's house on God's terms. Gladness is not me accessing, accessing the world on my terms. Gladness is me embracing the world on God's terms. It's me worshiping God in His house, His way. That's what we're going to see continuing on in this psalm. So, Psalm 122, verse 1 again. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of Yahweh. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And then verse 3, there's a comment about the city itself. They're so happy to be there together that they can't help but comment about the city. 
Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of Yahweh, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of Yahweh. So verse 3 is like, wow, this is a well-built city. This is pretty cool. And then verse 4, all the tribes come up here together because God decreed it so that we can give thanks to him. In other words, so that we can worship him. This is the destination spot for our worship. Then in verse 5, their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. So Jerusalem is also the place where God had set up his king, his law, And verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. And the you there is feminine in Hebrew, so it's referring to Jerusalem. Verse 7, peace be within your walls and security within your towers. And for my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of Yahweh, our God, I will seek your good. So the psalm starts with this ecstatic joy. We've been invited to go to the house of Yahweh. It gets there. Our feet are here. We're physically here. And it looks around. This is a great place. And oh, look, all the other tribes are coming up because we are celebrating the decreed festival to give thanks to Yahweh. And then it closes with this blessing, right? This prayer, God, bless this city. Bless the place of your worship. And let those who love the place of your worship prosper, which is not wealth or something like that. It's a play on words in the Hebrew. You have um, shalom, and then shalom is peace, and then prosper is a root of shalom. It's like shalai or something like that, I don't recall. But it's a play on words. So we pray for the peace of God's worship place, and then we get a piece of that peace back. The Hebrew word peace, shalom, is not an easy word to translate. It doesn't go straight to peace. It also refers to the kind of peace you feel when everything is right. There's a wholeness to everything. And that's why Jews would greet and say goodbye to one another with the word shalom. It was a, may everything go well with you. May you be whole and complete and connected into God's picture of life. And so this whole psalm is dripping with this yearning, this adoration, this gladness at being in this physical place with God's people worshiping God. Gladness, again, is worship. Not having the world on my terms, but gladness is worship that gathers in God's house on God's terms. Notice um, this whole idea of gathering. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of Yahweh. Our feet are standing here. And then in verse 3, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. We'll come back to that in just one second. And then to which the tribes go up. See, there's a definite physical gathering here. I know this is ironic. Here, we're gathered virtually um, online. We're not physically gathered. We have this psalm that's talking about being glad about being in the house of God, and yet none of us are in at least one central place to worship. Um, I mean, me, Richard, Sandy, a couple people running sound and such, but that's you guys aren't here. 
And you know what? I really relate to this psalm and think it's a timely psalm for us to be in. It's because sometimes you don't realize what makes you happy until you don't have it. Sometimes we don't realize how much of our week revolves around seeing one another. As much as church can be the same and sometimes boring and sometimes you have to decide and push yourself to go, we don't realize what we have until suddenly I'm in an empty room. And I don't know how it was leading worship, Richard, but it's kind of depressing. I'm not even... (laughs) I'm, I'm used to seeing and being one with you guys as we're talking over God's word and, and getting a sense of where are people, where is this hitting people? And I'm, I'm, feel like I'm talking to myself, quite frankly. Um, and it's worse. Sometimes, sometimes if you guys follow the podcast, you know, the B-sides, I'm usually in my office talking to myself, just, just giving reflections. I'm used to talking to myself. That's fine. But, Knowing that you see me talking to myself is a little unconcerning. It's strange. And I'm staring at a camera and I'm used to scanning my eyes, so it's, it's difficult. It's like, it's like, you know when you're talking to a person and it just seems like there's no one inside? <laughs> yeah. Um, I would, see, now I don't know if that's funny because nobody's here, so. We'll just stop the humor. But I was, um, <laughs> I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of Yahweh. Friends, I hope that you're tasting and seeing that there is a real privilege and treat in our gathering together. The house of God is not a physical place anymore. It's in the body of his people. But there's a treat in which our worship is not complete on our own. It needs each other. And the very fact of gathering is part of our ascension. It's part of our journey and our pilgrimage. The very act of gathering is our big declaration to saying no to the hills, to say no to having the world on our terms. Because let's be honest, if you go to church on Sunday morning, how many of us would rather, if we had the world on our terms, sleep in? Right? Well, that's why we do church on Sunday night. But how many of us who go to church on Sunday night would rather get to bed earlier and have an easier Monday morning? Me, definitely. But see, the idea that we come together at a set time and a set place is where we're already surrendering the world on our terms and we're saying yes to God's world in his terms. We are being countercultural. Yes, you can watch church online, you can listen to podcasts, and I hope, as much as you may enjoy this or not, you don't get too used to it and that we still gather. Because, friends, worship is about being together, and you don't get the gladness of worship by yourself. Now, I get it. You can worship God anywhere. You can worship Him privately. You can. That is still worship. But the full joy that comes out of worshiping God depends upon our unity together. I cannot say the same about bird watching. Now, if you are a bird watcher, or if you're a hiker, or you're someone that loves to just have your Bible and your journal and your coffee, and you call that your weekly worship, great. I hope you don't stop that. But those are not the house of God in his place with his people. That's not gathering. That is worshiping God on your terms. See, the gladness that this psalmist is expressing to us is worship that gathers in God's house on God's terms. Now, verse 3 is very interesting because it says that Jerusalem is built as a city that is bound firmly together. And you're kind of like, that's a really odd verse. 
be honest, if you read that, you thought, why is that verse in there? But there are two translations that I found very helpful. One is the New English translation, and it reads like this. Jerusalem is a city designed to accommodate an assembly. Or, the message says, Jerusalem, well-built city, is built as a place for worship. Now, what's helpful here is that if you, um, in my translation, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, it actually can lend you either reading. And here's where I, I read up on this, and it said that the Hebrew is uncertain as to whether this verse is describing Jerusalem's form or describing its function. So if it's describing Jerusalem's form, then my translation, the ESV, is 100% right. Jerusalem, oh yes, it's a city that is bound firmly together, well built. That's form. Look, the walls, there's no spaces, there's no cracks, built well. Or function, Jerusalem designed to accommodate an assembly. Um, so, it's a question of form or function, right? If my ESV was to read as a function, it would read like this. Jerusalem, built as a city to bind firmly together. You see how it there? It, you can see how the Hebrew would be uncertain. What are we binding together? Are we binding the stones and the bricks and the mortar that the walls are built firmly together? Or is Jerusalem the place where people are coming together and being bound firmly together? I favor the latter. I favor that Jerusalem is being praised as being a place built for the gathering of people because it fits the context. It doesn't seem out of place in this psalm. One, you have the psalmist saying, I was glad to be there. I was glad to be invited. Look, my feet are here, obviously with other people. And the very next verse, Jerusalem built as a city to be bound firmly together with others for worship to which the tribes go up, as was decreed for Israel, so that they could give thanks to the name of Yahweh. Right there you see the purpose of Jerusalem was so that God could call the tribes together in one place in his house and to give him thanks. And so we see that there's a gathering here in God's house. And it's under God's terms. This is where the true gladness comes. Because it's very tempting for us to worship in a way that we feel like makes us happy or appeases us. We need to be careful of this. That worship sometimes becomes this tool for my expression to God. I was reading James Smith in his excellent book, You Are What You Love. And there he describes two forms of worship. He describes bottom-up worship versus top-down worship. In bottom-up worship, you have us expressing... Did I say that right? In bottom-up, yeah. In bottom-up worship, you have us expressing ourselves and our praise to God. You have us being the actors. We are the hosts. God, we filled this room. We've got this worship. We've picked out our songs. And we want you to come and be magnified in our midst. Bottom-up worship. But top-down worship is where it's about God doing the action. It's about God not, it's not us 
feeling, expressing our feelings, but it's about God forming us through his exercise called worship. It's about God being present, and we're gathering not so that we can worship God. We're gathering because God is already here, and he's inviting us into a thing he calls worship because the act of worshiping him is forming us. The act of gathering together under his terms is so that he can redirect our hearts, set our hearts, as Psalm 84 says, set our hearts on pilgrimage to Jerusalem, readjust, realign, reorient ourselves so that we're not focused and being lured up to the hills and the high places, but that we are being pulled by our love and affection through this exercise that God has put before us called worship toward him so that everything we are is aimed in finding its fulfillment in him so that we can truly say not, oh yeah, I just happen to like church better than football on Sunday morning. No, but so that we can actually say, I was glad to go to the house of God under God's terms because he is my ultimate joy. He's made me and I'm pleased to put my life within the realm of how he designed me to be. That's top-down worship. It's recognizing that worship isn't our work. Worship is stepping into God's work. Worship's the time when he's forming our hearts and we get to be exercised by him in those ways. I love food a lot. I love food so much that I actually study food when I'm not studying the Bible. Um, And if you've talked to me, you sometimes have... Notice food may come up a lot. I love food and I love learning how it is cooked and why things taste the way they do and how they make your body feel. Um, I say that because I was not brought up that way. I, I grew up literally having ketchup between an empty hot, inside an empty hot dog bun. I was the kid who had just plain peanut butter or just plain ketchup in pieces of bread. I lived on bread. At dinner time, I would hardly touch anything else, but I would have some bread. It probably, you're thinking, explains why I'm only five foot seven. I get it. Um, but then something happened, and I began to delight and learn about food. And I changed my tastes. Suddenly, I like vegetables. I don't just tolerate them. I don't just tell myself I should eat them. I like them. That's not because I'm somehow built to be, I don't know, a vegetable lover. I didn't used to love them. But what happens is, as you feed yourself certain foods, as you submit yourself to a certain way of living or dieting or eating, your tastes actually change you will begin to adjust your appetite if you will consistently hold to terms that aren't your own gut. And um, I bring this up because this is a lot like worship with God. If we can't make heads or tails of somebody saying, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of God, then it's because your appetite is on a steady diet of the fast food chains on the hills. We want the quick satisfaction. We want the quick meal. We want the quick, God make me feel better. Or God work under my schedule or under my terms. But gladness is not the world on our terms. Gladness is worship together, gathering in the house of God under God's terms. 
And we can learn to find joy in God more and more as we come to the table he set for us, top-down worship. We come and receive what he's given to us week after week. You begin to find your heart tuned to this gladness. Now, notice um, in verse Verse 4, oh, I wanted to say, I didn't quite get to this, did I? In verse 3, um, back to the former function, it's both. Because while Jerusalem was built as a great assembly place for the people of God to worship him, you know what it also does? Is it builds us as people that are complete. We become um, um, firmly bound together not just as a community, not just as we gather are we bound firmly together, but your life, all the loose odds and ends, the part of you that wants to go that way and wants to go that way, it starts coming together and it finds a center of gravity because God becomes our center. He becomes our core. So we experience what the end of the psalm says. We experience shalom, completeness. We become firmly bound together as people. That's always what's been interesting when people tell you, well, you do you. What do you want to do? Remember, that's the world under my terms. But, but here's the thing that you should ask when people say that is, which you are you talking about? Because one Brandon wants to eat ice cream every single night. That's no lie. One Brandon wants to do that. But the other Brandon doesn't like how he feels when he has ice cream every night. So which me are you asking me to live out? Who, which me am I supposed to be authentic to? You see, when people say you do, we don't even know who we are. We're scattered people with multiple desires. And yet, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of God. Step three tells us to worship because in the act of worship in God's house, under God's terms, we become boundly, uh, firmly bound together. We fit, we're complete. We're shalom, we're at peace, we're whole. Now, we have been emphasizing on God's terms because this is also what the psalm says in verse 4. It says, the tribes go up as they're doing, the psalms of ascension. The tribes go up, the tribes of Yahweh, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of Yahweh. As was decreed for Israel. I know the New King James says, as a testimony. Um, you could say that the testimony was decreed to them. Other translations go as far as to say, as God ordered or told them. There's a very clear top-down command here. God told Israel, there's one place you'll worship me. You're not going to go out in the wo- back of the woods and slaughter your cow there. You're going to come to my house. And it's in Deuteronomy, this is easy to remember, Deuteronomy 16.16 16, where you see God decrees this to Israel. Deuteronomy 16, 16. It reads like this. Three times a year, you, uh, three times a year, all your males shall appear before Yahweh your God at the place that he will choose, which later in the story is Jerusalem. These are the three times. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, That's a Passover, that's in the spring, coming up real soon. At the Feast of Weeks, also known as Pentecost, 50 days after, so that you probably go up to Jerusalem and just stay an extended vacation. 
and um, celebrate both of those festivals. And then third, at the Feast of Booths, which is in the autumn, or also called the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's where they would all camp out in tents around Jerusalem to remember how God led them through the wilderness. And here are the three, here are the three um, festivals in which they were to go up to Jerusalem. They were told, you are to come to my house for these festivals. And then it says, They shall not appear before Yahweh empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of Yahweh your God that he has given you. So, right now, in my personal devotions, I'm in Leviticus and yesterday, I read Leviticus 23, where God details all of the actual uh, the festivals that they went through. Three of them, they were required to come up to Jerusalem, and they would sing these psalms. But the rest, they could, they could celebrate in their own local communities. And each of these festivals... There's the chapter has this lengthy detail on all of them, the things they're supposed to do and the things they can't do, and you have to fast or you can't work, and all of these rules and limitations and restrictions. And I was reading them going, wait a minute. This this is God saying, I love a feast. I love parties, and I want my people to enjoy them. And I was like, Yeah, this is great. But then you're reading it and you're like, What a party pooper. God's giving them all of these, yeah, but you can't do that. You can't, no, 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 don't do that. You just have to like live in this little narrow lane. That's the way you're going to celebrate my festivals. But then I was reminded of Tim Keller's words. Um, he, he writes somewhere in his book, The Reason for God. He writes, look, life is not about, freedom is not about the absence of restrictions Freedom is about submitting to the right restrictions. Because life has restrictions, whether you want them or not. So it's about, it's about submitting yourself to the right restrictions. For example, he talks about a fish. A fish may not want to be in water. So let's say the fish decides to be on grass. He will find out very soon that the restriction of water was actually his happy place. He's more free in the water than he is on the grass. Or, if you've ever learned an instrument or a sport or any hobby that you do and that you find skill in, you will know the work that it takes, the discipline that it takes, the practice that it takes to master the guitar. Right, Richard? Or singing. Right, Sandy? Um... Or school teaching, right, Sonia? Or being an officer, right, Frank? Yeah. Or being my assistant, right, Gio? <laughs> um, it takes a lot of practice. And every time you choose to practice, you are saying no to something else. You are limiting your time and you are restricting your body to certain functions. And yet, without the choice to submit to these right restrictions, you will never find your full potential untapped. The talent will never come out. And so there is such a thing as restrictions that actually give us greater freedom, greater gladness in God's world. And so it's about finding the right restrictions. And then God made it all dawn on me. He said, Brandon, Leviticus 23... I'm the party planner. A good party needs a planner to keep things going, to keep people entertained. 
Not that God's our entertainer, but you know what I mean. Go with the illustration. Um, so that nobody's sitting in the corner awkwardly like me, the social awkward person in the corner just waiting for the food line to die down or to get home. He wants us all involved in functioning and thriving in the places he's made us. Therefore, God asks us to worship gathered under his terms, top-down worship, because he knows where our gladness lies. He knows how we will most thrive. That's why. No, Christianity is not a bunch of rules. It's not. And the little rules that are there, they're the right restrictions we need to make our pilgrimage with gladness. They're aiming us and our hearts and our desires toward the one true bread of life that will give us satisfaction. Step three is worship because we need to know where our true gladness lies. Now, friends, I cannot wait to fill this room again with your faces and to be talking with you. It kind of feels like I'm talking at you. I usually feel like I'm talking with you, but I feel like I'm talking at you right now because the camera is like 50 feet away from me. (laughs) But I cannot wait for us to gather again. And maybe we will once again find our gladness in gathering as the people of God, in gathering like Jerusalem as a city bound firmly together, where we will find our peace and pray for the peace, the wholeness, the completeness of each other and our communities. So gladness is not the world on my terms. That's how we live. But that's not true. The hills are a delusion. Gladness is worship that gathers in the house of God under the terms of God. So, are you, are you glad tonight? Are you experiencing the gladness that this psalmist experiences? Or do you feel like you're still pursuing gladness? You're still trying to find it? Or you're still trying to tailor life to fit your type of gladness just right. The psalmist is inviting us on the pilgrimage and saying, you will find gladness here. Maybe it might take the third step. You know, once once your boots get broken in and your blisters start to get better, you will find gladness. Keep stepping, keep going. And it's almost like this psalm is perfectly placed a little bit early in our journey so that it's like a mentor is saying to you and I as we're groaning and saying, ah, I'm only on step three out of 15. He's like, wait a minute. Let me tell you what I experienced in Jerusalem. And he's just encouraging us to keep going because you will find gladness. I have zero regret in the life that I've given to Christ. I've never once thought, oh man, they get to do that. They have those liberties. They get to experience that life. Why can't I do that? I've never thought that. I have experienced the gladness that this psalmist has experienced because my heart yearns to worship God. And I hope your heart will be pulled to worship God as well. But if not, and if we have not found what makes us glad, then let's do what the psalm says here in verse 4. The tribes go up. Tonight, let's start to go up. Let's put our shoes on, the shoes of worship. Let's say yes to God, no to the world. Let's walk past the hills, walk with God as our keeper, and let him put our feet within the gates of Jerusalem. Let's let him give us the gladness that we are all seeking. 
And on the way to help, the psalm also gives us two tips. First is to remember that peace awaits, wholeness awaits. Sometimes climbing up is a battle and you're not always feeling peace. (laughs) Jesus never said Christianity is about putting your feet up and just enjoying the ride. Sometimes we're going to have to push ourselves to keep going, but there will be peace. Peace is at the end. And then second, verse 4 said that they go up to give thanks to the name of Yahweh. Um, In my reading of the Psalms, um, along with Leviticus, I just found this theme so refreshing in them during this season, specifically this season that we're all in right now. And that is thanks. I found, look, I have some angst. I have some worries, some anxiety, some concerns about everything, about what are we going to do now? What is tomorrow going to look like? Is the whole nation going to shut down? Like, What's going to happen? When all this settles, are we still going to have jobs? How is the whole topography of life going to look after this? And if you're not feeling a little worried, then you're not, you're, I don't know, you're either not admitting it or you're not human. I'm not sure which. But there's just a little within all of us as being human because we don't like change. There's a little bit of that, what's going on? But the discovery of thanks, God, the life we've lived up to now, I don't think I've thanked you enough for it. My children, I mean, who knows, what if you get the virus and I don't get to see my kids anymore? I'm so thankful that, yes, they bumped my elbow while I was journaling and it put this big streak in the journal and I got frustrated. Yes, there's that, but oh my goodness, I can touch my kids. I'm not quarantined in some impersonal hospital with people who are separated from me with a plastic suit. Give thanks. Thanksgiving lightens the load as we're climbing huge hills and mountains. And you will feel that as we feel the weight of what's going on around us. And as you're making the journey and you want to worship, but there's just burdens and there's weights, try giving thanks. And you will see that when you feel down, thanksgiving will make you look up. It will make you look up to your maker. And he will say, here, my child, let my gladness sustain you. Because I want you to come to my worship service. I want you to be formed in my presence. It's not up to you to make all this happen. You just come. And so... This is the time the worship team will come up. And you at home, please, if you're watching with somebody, this is a time to pray with them. This is a time to, if you happen to have some crackers or anything, pizza, broccoli, whatever, this is the time to use it as your supper before the Lord in place of our usual gathered communion. Because what we need to remember is Walking up the mountain of God is not a matter of me pulling my shoestrings tighter, me being stronger and tougher. It's not about survival of the fittest. It's about Christ who, top-down worship, he came down, excuse me, he came down to us and he led us up the mountain. He went before us so that the rugged terrain now has a path. It now has 15 clear steps for us. We're following in the footsteps of Christ. And so we would be amiss to do anything without saying, Christ, let us eat of you. Let us partake of you. Let us pray to you. Help us worship you, your place, your terms. And please feed us with your gladness. God, we pray 
That as we, in our various locations now, partake of your one body, your one presence, that you would unite us like Jerusalem.